Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, Texas. Now, my name is Kaya Hartwood. I'm the, I'm the preacher's wife. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We extend a special welcome this morning to our visitors. We're glad you're here. And now if you'd like to uh, say the words to light our chalice, it's in the bulletin. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is by Martin Luther. The riches of music are so excellent and so precious that words fail me whenever I attempt to discuss and describe them. In Summa, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, and our spirits. We are a motley band. What are the things that hold us together? Well, you all worked really, really hard to come up with a, a mission statement that we can all agree with. And we wrote it on the wall and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. According to Plato, music is a moral law. It gives soul to the universe wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and charm and gaiety to life and to everything. And now we'll have a moment of silence where we can get close to God if we know God or if you just like to listen to yourself think. Now, if you choose to, you can repeat after me in a med med meditation. First time we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say it for someone we love, so get somebody in mind. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. And this last time we do a little, little spiritual stretch, and we're going to say this for someone whom, whom we have a resentment. Don't look around or think of anyone political. <laughs> May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. Now, if you'd like to light a candle, we'll have some more beautiful music from Brett and the choir.
So my talk this morning is uh, called Adventures in Hymnody. What the heck is that? Hymnody, a hymn, is a song of prayer or lamentation. And our hymnal is like a history book of theology and musical decisions. Have you ever thought about where the songs come from or all the little secret codes that are included in here? I'm going to do my best to tell you what they all mean. Uh, So you might want to grab a hymnal. So out of curiosity, how many people were raised in a Unitarian church? How many people were raised in a Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran? Okay. How many people were raised uh, Pentecostal, uh, Catholic, Jewish? Well, all these things tell a lot about a person, and you may have opinions about, like, have you ever thought about whether you think it's okay to clap in church or... Yeah, and people get really righteous about this stuff, right? They, they, they want it the way they, they had it when they were young, or the way their grandmothers did it. Um, all these things come from theology. Um, if you turn to page uh, 147, 148, I'll use them as an example. But uh, if, you were, if you were an early Christian and you wanted to differentiate your worship, and Jewish worship from all the different varieties around you, you would have not used instruments and you would have sang. In fact, if you were in the Jewish service, there's a rabbi, but there's also a cantor who's a rabbi who sings, if you've, if you've ever been to synagogue. And the rabbi who sings is, is singing to God. God only hears the singing. That's the belief. And so that's where the early Christian... Uh, they want to differ, not look pagan, so they didn't use instruments a lot. And they sang, and they did a lot of call and response singing. And that goes into the Gregorian chant, the plain chant, Byzantine chant, all that kind of early music. And that music was not for us. It's for God. You just happened to get to participate in a, in a representation of the Last Supper. That was why you were there. The music was for God. In the 1600s, after the printing press and Protestant Reformation happens, you get two guys who really change everything. Martin Luther, who we just sang one of his hymns, and you heard Susan read one of his quotes about music, and a guy named John Calvin, who is my least favorite person on the planet. (laughs) So Martin Luther lived from 1483 to 1546. He, he was a priest who stapled his tenets on the wall of the church and got himself excommunicated. But he, he, he was a musician, and he had studied uh, counterpoint, and he could write in four-part harmony. And he thought musicians could be professional. You wanted the best music you could have in church, and that it was for the congregants. A lot of his tunes come from uh, marching songs, German drinking soldier songs. They use the tunes so that everybody would know the tune. It's kind of cool, huh? Now, if you, uh, if you were in his school of thought, music, music was great and it was for God. It was a glory for God and, and you were gifted in music. Of course you could be professional. Of course you could have beautiful singers and, and train people and you could hire people. 
to sing for you. That would be okay, right? Now, that school of thought, Lutherans, Methodists come out of the Anglicans, um, Baptists, um, any of the, the Protestant movements where you have a lot of music, you might have a drum set. All that comes. Now, Calvin, he was a different story. Calvin lived from 1509 to 1564. And uh, let me find a good quote from him, give you an idea. Well, the best story I know about John Calvin is that he was sitting at dinner and they were having soup. And uh, a friend of his was eating across from him and he was loving his soup. And uh, he said, oh, the soup is so good. And so John Calvin poured cold water in the soup because you shouldn't enjoy anything of the earth. You should keep your focus on heaven. And so he was a little suspicious of music in general. It, it tended, it was a temptation and useless. Um, he felt like it distracted you from heaven. And unfortunately, Unitarians come out of that tradition. Uh, the Presbyterians come out of that tradition. John Knox. Um, and so the only music that was acceptable in the early churches was the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms supposedly written by King David. And those were the only things that you were allowed to sing. Now, in the 1600s, when people first, uh, Anglo people first started coming here, um, they came with a thing called a psaltery. And it had the words to their Psalms. It did not have any tunes. There was no music in the early psaltery. The, the Bay Colony psaltery, I think, is what the pilgrims carried. And so they came over and they had their words and they sang things. How did you know what tune to use? Secret code in the hymnal. Look in the right-hand corner. And it says, in the, on this page, it says LM on, the, on 147. And it says CM on 148. They're talking about hymn meter. Hymn meter matches, uh, LM stands for long meter, like the doxology. If you grew up in a church that said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, that's eight syllables, eight in the hymn meter. And so on the page, it will say LM for one that goes eight, period, eight, period, eight, period, eight, period, eight, line, eight syllables each line. Okay, this, the common meter, which is the CM, goes 8686. And uh, a great example of this is uh, Joy to the World and uh, Amazing Grace. They are both common meter songs. And I will now sing you them to the other's tune. Because back in the day... Your, uh, your Kathleen or your uh, uh, Brian would only know four or five songs. You, you didn't live very far from where you grew, were born. And you might, your, com your community might only know four tunes. But they, you could use the psaltery. And on the bottom of the psaltery, it will say the hymn meter. And it does that to this day. Let me find another page that's got an actual... Uh, at 226, People Look East, the song that's on the front of your bulletin, um, its its hymn meter is 8.7.9.8.8.7. Okay, so that, that's the syllables of the lines. And so a song like Joy to the World, 
with common meter and a song like Amazing Grace, common meter. So maybe you only know the tune to Joy of the World. So you can sing it like, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Or, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Well, back that back when people were more rural based and they didn't, you know, you you walked to the place that you went. Chances are you didn't have a big organ, you and probably not a piano till the mid eighteen hundreds. So people sang and they sang a cappella, and they sang the songs, the tunes that they knew, and how they did it was this hymn meter, and it's still in our hymnal. It's still there. Now, if you notice there on uh, People Look East, it says, well, I moved the page. Sorry. I have no idea what page it was on. Um, 226, okay. Thank you. Okay. You see how it says in capital letters above that hymn meter, it says, Bessascon? That is the name of the tune that you're singing the hymn meter to. There is a directory in the back of your hymnal after the index of composers, which is uh, 655. Right after that is the directory of the hymn tunes, all in capital letters. And what page that hymn is being used, that tune is being used. And then it goes into the metrical index of tunes. So all the songs that have the same hymn meter are listed on page 665. And D, if if you see uh, in the hymn meter, it says D, it means double. Um, There's also short meter, which is 66666, I guess. Um... But people would have been familiar with this, especially in early America. The whole musical tradition was different than the one we have now. And how it got there is kind of interesting. Because it's people who decide what are in this. Um, a friend of a colleague of Meg's and a friend of ours, uh, Mark Bellatini, was the head of the committee that decided which tunes were still in here. There are old hymnals that have some of these tunes. Some of these tunes have been carried over in our tradition. Every 20 years or so, they do a new hymnal. I hope someday that Meg is in here for All Will Be Well. Uh, but it's a decision that's made by a committee. It's always a minister in charge. Many of our hymns have, are really influenced by that whole tradition of the psalm, psalmetry. It wasn't until Isaac Walks, I don't know, don't know if you know Isaac Watts. He was a nonconformist from England. He was a minister. In England, if you weren't in the church, in the Anglican church, you're a nonconformist or a Catholic. And nonconformist is what we are. Uh, Isaac Watts was the first one to paraphrase and more, put more personal feeling in, in Psalms. Joy to the world is one of his. Um, so we, can't, we consider him one of our ancestors. Um, but where it gets really interesting for America is about the Revolutionary War. A man named William Billings was an American composer, self-taught, and uh, 
He wrote a song called Chester, which was the biggest hit. He was the Lady Gaga of the 1770s. Um, but he was a singing teacher as well, because back in the day, the ministers at the time thought it'd be good if we had singing schools. So for about a month, they'd have a singing school, and people would learn to sing a cappella. And how did they do that? They used a system called shape note. Had anybody heard of shape note or heard shape note? Uh, it's based on um, Guido of Arizzo, who was like 11th century monk. And they didn't, paper was really expensive then. He had a choir. So he's like Brent. And so Brent would have to like point to, on his hand different places. And that's how you'd know do, re, mi, fa, so. You've heard that before? Well, in shape note, they actually change the shapes of the notes so that you're also getting a visual cue and you learn to sing using so, do, fa. And there's a four-note system and a seven-note system. And there are still people who sing this way, but why did it die out? Because it was the way of the way of the America. It was American music. Well, it dies out because of a guy named Lowell Mason. He's also an evil person. No. He's, he's not my favorite, but um, uh, he, he, was a, um, he lived in Boston, and he lived uh, 1792 to 1872, and he wore a little hat. He looks like a Unitarian. He was a music director at First Parish in Massachusetts for a short period of time. He was also a banker, but he had studied with a German person, and he had learned uh, the common practice. That's what we call classical music, right? Haydn, Mozart, good German music, right? He felt, and his friends felt, that they should stop American singing, stop this William Billing stuff, stop this shape note stuff, and we should teach good classical music and how to read music in the European way. And so he got the, he got the public school systems to do that. And he really put down uh, as being lower class to sing in a shape note style. And uh, that's why we all sing the way we do, and that's why the music in the hymnal looks like it does now, is Lowell Mason, a person, decided all this. And almost, especially by the Civil War, you see shape note singing almost dying out. There are schools of it. You can look it up online if you want to hear it. If you uh, saw Cold Mountain, you probably heard some of that kind of singing on the Cold Mountain's soundtrack. Um, and it, here in Texas, there's four schools, singing schools, still going. One in Buda. So uh, if you want to hear it or learn it, and uh, they actually did a study in the 50s, and the shape note, the kids who learned shape note actually learned to read and were musicians longer into middle, middle age. So we might have lost something really useful. Um, so why, why do Unitarian churches sound like they do? Some of it has to do with this kind of stuff. Each church decides, but some of it has to do with class. And I think Lowell Mason had something to do with that too. Because Lowell Mason is who put organs in churches and got the choir to not be the most important thing. <laughs> they did a lot of congregational singing, but they did it with an organist or pianist. Um, and classical music became associated with money. 
in America, much more than any other country, classical music is considered something only uh, well-educated, well-brought-up people with money do, mostly white people, right? We associate all these things. If I come in the room and I'm wearing jeans and a cowboy shirt, what kind of music do I play? These are, right. This is, these are classical. These are these are class stereotypes. So if you went to a church where people never clapped in for, in church because that that's associated with street performers, they separated sacred and profane music. How many people in your church was primarily white? And how many people came from middle class or above your church? You didn't have no clapping. It's a class thing. Okay. Now, we are in the future, 21st century, and we want our music to be different than that. We want all kinds of people in our churches. We want all different color people, all different class of people, even Republicans. (laughs) We want them all in our church. Okay. How are we going to do that if our music stays the same? You know, even way before um, I was here as a member of this church um, and came and sang for Brent, Brent was always my model of what a Unitarian Universalist music director should be. Because you come here one Sunday and there's a jazz quartet and, and you come today and they have Hulse and, and Hindemith and, and uh, you come an, another day and there's, um, they're playing Black Sabbath or, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? If you want all different kinds of people here, we need to be a little more flexible about our clapping, not clapping, what kind of music is okay. I mean, there are people who don't uh, contribute to the church if they don't like the music. Well, you ought to not like the music at least a quarter of the time (laughs) if you want diversity. So um, the only other things I could tell you is that most of the hymns that are Unitarian hymns are written by ministers. We have a tradition of that. If you want to get more involved, if you don't like the songs in the hymnal, get involved. Start talking to the UUA. Because they will pick someone, a minister, to be in charge of the committee. And uh, how many people feel like it's hard to sing some of the tunes in here? Okay. When it comes up again, let's get some people with doctorates in music. So that they can pick the, pick the right... Um, uh, basically, they're, they're set for tenors. So it's hard for everybody else to sing. Um, so we could we could change that, and other hymnals are different that way. Um, we could have gone on all day about people, but it's a really interesting subject, hymnody. You can look it up. Uh, 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 check out Shape Note singing, um, Martin Luther, Calvin. Thank you. And now say the words which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. 
him in my soul. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.